You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, you're listening to Nick Luck Daily. I'll be back again tomorrow, Monday, with the first of our daily episodes this week, bringing you the latest news, sharpest insight and best interviews from around the world of thoroughbred horse racing and breeding. But first, delighted to welcome back Gina Bryce with episode 11 of the Bloodstock Bulletin in association with Tattersalls. Hello and welcome along to the Bloodstock Bulletin with me, Gina Bryce, in this second instalment of our four-week build-up to book one of the Tattersall's October Yearling Sale, Europe's premier source of high-class racehorses. We will be navigating our way through our usual themes, honing in on a potential box office lot, Sky Lantern's Kingman Cult in this case, discussing this week's stallion in focus, First Crop Sire, Saxon Warrior. We'll be catching up with a book one bonus winner, and in this case, it's a man who can't stop winning them in Jair Lions, and we'll be shining the spotlight on a key player at the upcoming sale. Well, with the Keeneland September sale underway this week in the US, the focus shifts stateside as we catch up with Eclipse award-winning breeders Glenwood Farm and Tanya Gunther, an interviewee who could have qualified for any one of the themes explored in this episode. The operation sell a potential box office lot in Full Brother to their St. James's Palace Stakes winner without parole. Their homebred Triple Crown winner justifies first yearlings will come to market in the UK for the first time at Tattersall's. And without parole himself is at the very beginning of his new career as a stallion at Newsels Park Stud. So with all three hats on, we'll be catching up with Tanya Gunther later in the episode. So Stateside is a good place to start. And with that in mind, we bring in our guest here on episode 12, the TDN's Chris McGrath. And Chris, with Keeneland underway, that seems an obvious place to start. How's the market been so far? What have been some of the headlines to come out this week? Well, I wish I could say I was talking to you from Stateside. It's been very frustrating the last couple of years for a lot of us who are kind of focused on the American business to be from this side of the water to be stranded over here and there's been very little flexibility i know a lot of much more important people than me who, who need to be there who, who can't get there this year and um you know, i see they've let someone called envy magna in so um, they're, they're looking after their most important clients <laughs> it's just and as well they with, did by with, the look of the results Chris. yes indeed <laughs> with with excellent dividends as well it's been a fascinating start to say i mean keeneland is is the yearling market in america in that you know, obviously there are other sales at every level, um, and we've already had um, the the top class sale at Saratoga, um, and the more um, more kind of precocious trainer type horses at the July sale in Lexington. So we, we're getting a flavour of what the market is 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 like um, after the shock to the system last year, and the answer is it's incredibly encouraging in terms of in terms of depth above all um the really startling results came through you know book book one was spread over two days this year very solid um average measured up um extremely well, well advanced well on 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 last year which was obviously a 
Well, last year, I think we all agree that the bloodstock market generally was more resilient than many people feared, but the the numbers are, are strongly up on last year. And then um, Wednesday, yesterday, when, when I'm talking to you, uh, the third session, first day of book two, the, um, the average was up something like 31% on last year's equivalent session. Um, and there were 28 yearlings sold for $500,000 or more. And a real breadth to where the money's coming from as well. I and mean, it is, um, there, there, there is international investment, obviously a lot of it by proxy this year, but um, a really striking range of domestic investment. Um, and, uh, you, you, you know, I, th- I think it's auspicious in that, I know COVID's been a, a, a catastrophe for a lot of people financially, but the the affluent have got um, pent up um, demand, and maybe they've decided life is for living. But um, Saratoga was very strong as well. It was, didn't take place at last year. Fifty five um, million uh, turnover at Saratoga at the select sale, bang on what it was in in 2019 average virtually the same as well so um, really encouraging signs and chris do you think um that gives us cause for optimism as we head into book one does that kind of read the mood and the market suggests that we might expect something similar here on home soil um yes i think so i mean obviously you you follow the the home market probably more closely than i but i think there's as I said, as I mentioned a moment ago, I think last year was was a pleasant surprise um, to the market, wasn't it? That that it held up so well, and and things have begun encouragingly here. Um, and of course, we know to expect big American investment in 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 October, and um, and so there is a very direct correlation between the strength of the American market and what we can expect. Um, you know, in October from that side of the, the, the market. And Chris, do you think we will see the same sustained investment from the US market into into Tattersalls this year? Uh, unquestionably. I, I don't know um, how much more flexible travel might be going the other way. Um, it has been more flexible, but again, they obviously pe- people can be represented here and they absolutely will be. It's been possibly the biggest story in the October sale the last four years or so um, the massive increase in interest and investment from America and it's, it's only I think it was only 2017 that Mike Ryan came over um, bought a dozen yearlings for clients of Chad Brown Peter Brandt and Seth Klarman landed running newspaper record 200,000 Breeders' Cup winner, sensational Breeders' Cup winner. Same batch included another group, of grade, grade one winner, Digital Age, which uh, I think it was 325,000 guineas. And uh, also a, a grade three winner, Dimash Elliott, who's now got a place at stud as a son of Dubawi, a bit of a curiosity um, at Claiborne, in the Claiborne tradition of, of um, opening up the, the European bloodlines to the um, domestic breeders. And this year again, um, dual grade one winner, leading turf horse domestic spending, Kingman Colt, 300,000. 
and then you know others have jumped on the bandwagon. Ben Macaron bought Campanelli for 190,000 guineas, I think. Uh, Brad Weisbord and Liz Crow, Aunt Pearl, um, sim- similar bracket of the market. Todd Pletcher has started coming, sending someone in the last couple of years. It opens up fascinating questions about the overall state of our business and their business. Turf, standing a turf standing in Kentucky is virtually impossible. They've got a couple of really good, very eligible young turf stallions that have found it very difficult commercially. Um, we we well know that um, Kittens Joy has had nothing like the commercial stature that he warrants in terms of his results. Um, uh, David Redvers has been able to bring over a couple of um, horses from Keeneland by Kid, Kittens Joy to, to be champions over here. Um, bargain prices English Channel um, fantastic turf stallion really struggles commercially so on that that's the context in in America and yet they know they can come here at a reasonable level of the market relative to the prices we're talking about this week and bring in young stock from Europe by our top class stallions obviously we our 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 entire business is predicated on turf quality. They figured out that having initially tried to kind of sh- shortcut by buying horses out of training, it's a, you, you can um, kind of cut to the chase, but it's a lot more expensive. And as that market became more competitive, they figured out, well, let's go to the source. And it's worked so well um, that you, you you have to be a little bit. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see, and it, it introduces an, um, a, a very useful dynamic into our marketplace. But we, we have to be a little bit wary about, you know, how much of our best stock is now going to is 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 increasingly going to be exported now, and how that will weaken a product that is already so predicated on international trade once horses are in training because obviously our prize money um won't sustain the kind of investment we'll see in october so it's predicated either on the self-fulfilling cycle of horses making the top grade and 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 entering stud themselves or being traded overseas and prize money elsewhere is, is is ridiculously higher than here and it may well be that we, our existing role as a racetrack nursery gets kind of wheeled back into, we, we become an, a nursery at a, at a more basic level. That our, a lot of our best stock may increasingly be, be lost before it gets tested on the racetrack. So, you know, it, it, these, these customers are obviously extremely welcome for our breeders here. But, um, there may be some potential price in terms of diluting our our product down the line. Some long-term yeah, effects. Um, it's a fascinating question to be raised. It will be, however, 
Um, good news for Tattersall's that the international appeal of our stock continues. And that is, of course, the result of generations of endeavour by certain breeders over here and perhaps slightly luckier with a relatively new but fast establishing foundation family for the Keswick family is that of champion three-year-old filly Sky Lantern, who this year has become the producer of a Group 1 winner in turn through the exploits of Snow Lantern. The family sell a Kingman cult out of the mare, lot 274, and I spoke to their bloodstock manager, Ed Sackville, about his credentials. He's, uh, um, as you can imagine, being the daughter of a, of a classic winner and a mud crew one winner. He is, he, he, he's, he's a lovely, lovely looking horse. Um, probably people always sort of look at, the, look at the pedigree first and they expect to see a nice horse. And luckily he is that. Uh, he's got uh, great size and strength and scope. Um, he's been at High Clear now for a few weeks and Carolyn's done a great job in getting him ready for the sale. Obviously, we're still a few weeks off and we've got a way to go, but um, he's certainly going in the right direction and we couldn't be happier with him at the moment. I notice he's a grey cult. We all remember Sky Lantern and Snow Lantern is her absolute double. Is this cult very much in that same mould? Would racegoers recognise him from the family? Yes, he certainly... Um, being grey, he, he he certainly obviously looks like look 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 looks like the mare, and like her, she's a big robust horse. I, I wouldn't call her the, the the prettiest horse in the world. Uh, she is, although Sky Lantern is uh, big and strong, she's not necessarily a particularly particularly quality horse. Whereas part of the reason why we went to Kingman was to try and put a little bit of refinement into the into the progeny, and she's certainly done that. He's uh, he's a more refined classy looking version than than some of his uh some some of his siblings and um kingman's had a great year with with palace pier and plenty of others again so hopefully he'll be well received at the sales and it's a family um that the keswicks obviously hold very dear was this a tough decision to send a cult out of sky lantern to the sales uh, yes it's always having to sell having to sell a horse out of one of your one of your superstars is always going to be a tough decision, but we very much always had a policy since day one of uh, selling the Colts and keeping the fillies. We've clearly got incredibly lucky this year with keeping the filly in Snow Lantern, who's been a huge success. But uh, selling the Colts has always very much been the agenda. And if one has a policy, I feel you have to stick to it. And so as a result, he's going to the sale and whoever buys him, I hope, he'll be proved to be as good as uh, as his sister Snow Lantern. And what else has, has the mayor got to come, Ed, that we might not know about yet? She has a, another Kingman foal, uh, which, um, again, he'll be offered at the yearling sales next year. And she is in foal to, 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 to Frankel, which I, I must admit wasn't a particularly original mating sending her back to frankel but frankly uh, it made complete and utter sense and i'm sure particularly after this year that will be uh, ringing up job want and going back to frankel again well frankel is an obvious place to start for any breeder trying to achieve excellence at the very highest level something his sire galileo remarkably achieved for decades in his tenure at coolmore
So there are 14 of this now rare commodity catalogued at this year's sale. So naturally, attentions will turn to where the next Galileo, or indeed Frankel, is coming from. And amongst the first crop sires with yearlings catalogued during book one, Saxon Warrior, a son of Japanese sire sensation Deep Impact, is particularly interesting. So I caught up with Mark Byrne from Coolmore to outline his credentials. He's an incredibly exciting stallion, um, even from... His race course, like he was an unbeaten two-year-old, he he went on to be a classic winner, an unbeaten miler, and I think that's kind of shown in his foals. They um, they're plenty of size and scope, but loads of strength, um, and I think they'd be like him. They'll be kind of middle distance, um, kind of middle of the season two-year-olds that will will keep improving as the year goes on. Um, he was an incredibly tough racehorse as well, so I think a lot of them seem to be in that mould as well, where they're very good action, they look very athletic, and and, and I think um, will be all very much stamped by him. And there's no getting away from that very attractive pedigree as well, being by Deep Impact, who's been so significant out of maybe. Just try and sum up for us, if you can, just what the demand has been like and how important that that family is to to, to the operation. Um, it, it's it's very interesting because they kind of had a, a bit to play on both sides. Um, so obviously the the dam side from from Saxon Warrior um, would have been in Ballydoyle since the early 1980s when M.V. O'Brien trained um, Rose Red. And he actually always thought she was one of the best fillies he ever had, but she never got to show it on the track. Um, and in reflection of that, he sent her the best stallions at the time. She went to Mr. Prospector, Seattle Slough alleged. Um, and the pedigree didn't really start to, to come alive until those daughters produced and you got the Derby winner, Dr. Devious, Dancing Rain won an Oaks. Even so was from that pedigree, she won an Irish Oaks. And of course, then you get Samora, who produced a European champion two-year-old by Galileo and maybe, who in turn produced Saxon Warrior. And Deep Impact as well, being that outcross, this year really seems to have hit the heights in Europe. I know he was already well touted, but that presumably has been in great demand from breeders as well. Yes, yeah, like you saw the same cross, Snowfall. She's after winning two Oaks by over 24 lengths. And then last week in the pre-foy, um, a horse by a son of Deep Impact by Kazuna, Deep Bond, he he, he won the pre-foy and put a stake for the arc going on. So, um, And what's very kind of fitting for book one is the international appeal of, of Saxon Warrior. And it's not only the people who bought the foals by him, but it's it's the breeders to him. They're from all corners of the world. And obviously you can imagine there's a big lure for the, for the Japanese market as well. Um, you saw that when his first foals went to sale in Japan, um, the yearling, sorry, this year, one of them made 1.46, one and a half million euros just under, and the other one made just under 700,000 euros. So it's been incredible demand. And in Arkan already, and, and Baden Baden, he was the, the highest priced first season sire as well, both sales respectively. So demand has been absolutely brilliant. Um, he was a brilliant racehorse, great pedigree, and he's a massive international appeal. He really is. And sticking with the international theme, we've just seen the first Justifies, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere anyway, go through the ring in Keeneland this week. We're really looking forward to seeing, I think, five of them in book one. Just try and sum up for us how excited the team are about about seeing what he can do here on, on this side of the Atlantic. Look, it's, it's, it's hugely exciting. He was a like an unbeaten classic, um, sorry, triple crown winner, the only one that has been unbeaten. And it's such a rarity in over 100 years, there's only been 13 of them. Um, he's a big, beautiful colt bred by Glenwood Farm, the Gunters in Kentucky. And uh, he's by Scat Daddy, who in the limited numbers we got over here, we saw the the impact he's made. Like he, 
He's had a massive impact, and particularly in Royal Ascot. He, I was looking it up um, the other day. He'd six winners at Royal Ascot and, and five Royal Ascot two-year-old winners, including the likes of Nona Never and Caravaggio. So he's been a massive influence for both Cyrus Sires and his success on the track here. And you could arguably say that justifies the best son of his that there ever has been. So we're hugely excited about that. Book one's going to be busy across the board um, for the team at Coolmore. Just try and give us an idea of some of the others you're really excited to or certainly breeders and, and buyers alike will be excited to see some of those first crop ones for the first time. Yeah, we have some really nice young stallions around here. So we've got the likes of Sue Nation. Um, he's a Group 1 winning two-year-old and won the Norfolk just like no name ever. And there's some, a handful of foals there from, from very good breeders. We've also got the ultra-consistent and, and brilliant sprinter US Navy flag who who won the Middle Park, the Dewhurst and, and the July Cup and he was a champion two-year-old and European champion sprinter. So just plenty of, of appeal to those. And then there's another American stallion there in Mendelssohn who's a $3 million yearling and a half-brother to, to Into Mischief and Beholder. So um, there's a, a yearling in the sale by him as well. So there's many different types of horses that will appeal to many different people, but they all have that international appeal and um, they're all brilliant racehorses that were Group 1 winners. So a real mix from the stalwarts of Book One, the Galileos, the Camelots, the Australias, alongside the Young Guns make up the Coolmore representatives in Book One. And as you heard from Mark, the anticipation surrounding Justify is threatening to boil over into the European market in the coming months. The breeders and owners of Triple Crown winner Justify before his retirement to Coolmore's Ashford Stud are famed Kentucky-based Glenwood Farm, in whose colours many a top-class horse have raced on both sides of the Atlantic. Busy overseeing the sale of the operation's own Justify yearlings at Keeneland this week, I managed to track down Tanya Gunther and started by asking her how the market has been so far this week. I think we're off to a very good start at Keeneland. I mean, there's a lot of traffic. We've been very busy, essentially flat out with people looking at our horses. And um, we had quite a strong sale for us on day two, session two of the Book one, um, selling a few fillies for, for um, you know, might be above our reserves. I think the market was pretty strong overall with lots of interest. And it was a chance for many to see first yearlings by, of course, your fantastic Triple Crown homebred Justify. We're all really looking forward to seeing them over here. Um, the, the results look very good from where I'm standing, but just give us an idea of how pleased you were with how you went down there. Well, we have always thought that our Justify yearlings were very athletic. Um, it gave us a lot of confidence to read back to them in, in years two and three. Um, and we saw the colt, uh, you know, first hit through the ring on session two on Tuesday. So that's always, um, you know, you feel it's a tricky spot when you're the first hit in the ring. And he sold quite well when Star bought him. Um, so he's going to a good home by the people who, you know, raced Justify. So... We were quite pleased with that. And he bought six seventy five, which is a very good price for, you know, a new stallion. You know, he's a triple crown winner, but he's a new stallion. He has to prove himself in, in his new role. And um, but I think that's a huge vote of confidence. What sort of types can we expect from the ones we see here? What kind of horse is he throwing from the ones you've seen? People have said that they, you know, he's throwing different types, so not um, snapping them perhaps in the sense of a, you know, chestnut with a white blade. But what I've seen from ours is that they've got an aesthetic build about them that I, I see some similarities amongst the ones we have at least, where I can see a bit of his his physique, you know, size and strength. Um, and he himself, you know, being by stat data, 
stat daddy and out of the ghost alpha mare, I would expect he could have some versatility with his offspring. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were turf dirt crossover types and that's the type of mares we've been bringing to him as well. Yeah, I think that's that's the key, isn't it? That people are so excited about him over here as well. Glenwood Stud, obviously, uh, your operation have always had a, a strong history and, and link to, to the industry here in, in Europe. Just how much of of the European market and sourcing horses here is your operation skewed towards that? Um, I mean, we've had an increasing interest um, in terms of having more mares over in, in England and in Europe, um, it's just sort of a, we started out with a couple of mares and that, and then that has increased over the last five plus years. So we have quite a number over there and, uh, we love going over to, you know, to Tattersalls and to see our horses race over there. Obviously the pandemic has made that a bit difficult, but in general, um, we're hoping to get back to normal times and, and, uh, looking forward to the racing over there. And uh, my dad has followed turf racing and pedigrees for for a long time. So being able to bring to the likes of Franco and Kingman, uh, Wooten Bassett, and, uh, you know, other stallions of that caliber is, is hugely exciting. And um, we have been sending mares back and forth, from, you know, either from Glenwood over to England or vice versa for a number of years now trying to get the best uh, mating plans that we can. You know, justify justify won the Triple Crown, won without parole, won the St James's Palace. So it uh, did a lot to inspire us on both sides of the of the pond. Absolutely. And talking of that family, we're all really looking forward to seeing Lot Three Four Six, the Frankel without you, babe. What can you tell us about this uh, full brother to without parole who you mentioned? He's um he's a big colt, a good size on him. He's a different color than without parole, but he's. He's a very nice colt. Um, you know, we debated keeping him at home and, and racing him ourselves. I thought we would put him through the sale as we had done with um, without parole and, um, you know, see how the market is. And uh, But we wouldn't be unhappy to keep him as well. He's a very nice colt. We are lucky to have him there, like without you, babe, who can throw multiple Group 1 winners already, as she has done with Tamar Coos as well. So she uh, she's, she throws a very lovely type. Um, which is, you know, something it's something special in a mare to have a mare like that. Is there something that sets that family apart for you? Some sort of characteristic that runs through them? I would say quality and class, uh, uh, great balance. Normally amongst her foals, just a lot of quality. And for us, uh, my dad had bought Morosia many years ago, the, the mother of Without You, Babe, the Dam, and. Uh, so it's the foundation family for us. And we may as well focus on Without Parole, who um, will continue the legacy now as a new stallion at Newsels Park Stud. Um, how um, how well received has he been by breeders over here? And just remind us, as if we need reminding, of what a, a brilliant racehorse and his credentials when he went to stud. Without Parole, I mean, we have bred a number of mares ourselves. We have huge confidence in him as a son of Franco. I mean, Franco's had an unbelievable year again now, so I, I believe that's giving everybody a lot of confidence in what he can do as a stallion in terms of it as a sire of sires. So I think that's an exciting time to have a son of Franco at stud, you know, that with his own dad doing so well. Uh, we have sent mares over from America as well as buying horses at, you know, in Europe. 
and sending some of our best families to without parole. So we're pretty excited to see his first foals on the ground. We have a, um, a mayor from the family of Justify that is in full to without parole, as well as a couple of mayors that we sent over, state sources um, that we've now sent back to Glenwood. So we'll, we'll pull a couple of mayors at our own farm, which we're excited about, as well as, you know, pulling mares out uh, at Newfield, where we keep most of our mares in Europe. We're really looking forward to seeing them on the ground as well over here. Um, Tanya, we'll be lucky enough to see you and your father here this year. We are planning to come. So um, as long as, uh, you know, we manage to get through the hoops of COVID tests and and, uh, the travel logistics, uh, we plan to be there. Bringing Chris McGrath back in, uh, Tanya and John Gunther are obviously well known to to the European breeders as well. They're very successful trips over to Tassels in the past. But Glenwood Farm, just to put a little bit of context onto that first, Chris, so uh, a boutique operation in Kentucky. Just tell us a little bit about their history and and how highly regarded they are in the industry. Well, they're they're a model operation of their scale. I'm full full of admiration for for Tanya and her father John for what they've done. They've all, John is um, initially in in buying their their foundation mares and Tanya increasingly over recent years in, in in working on the matings. They've just been ahead of the game in spectacular fashion. So you know, Scat Daddy was standing at thirty thousand when he covered the dam of Justify. Curlin was standing at 25,000 when he covered the dam of Vino Rosso. Um, um, without Prol's dam, without you, babe, is out of a, one of their foundation mares that John bought for $50,000. Um, Vino Rosso's dam, he bought for $42,000. You know, so they, they've shown that if you're, if you're smart, you, you know, it, we, we all realize the role of luck. And we, everyone obviously realizes the, the role of hard work, the other four-letter word. But these guys are, give you hope that if you if you do it smart, it'll come off, you know. And I I think Justify is, um, is a most fascinating phenomenon uh, in terms of, you know, what we, we've, we can be indebted to them for the pedigree package they put together which is a fascinating mix of kind of um, strong lines of of mr prospector um and he's the um damn sire of scat daddy and and the the most conspicuous part justifies pedigree is that he's he has the the famous full sisters yarn and preach both by mr prospector obviously um top and bottom but they kind of complement that with um, real classic um, influences. No, no more so than Nijinsky, who uh, is the sire of Scantoli's second dam and um, um, is the grand sire of, um, of Justify's third dam. So I, I love the kind of balance they introduce. They, 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 um, they like a bit of inbreeding to quality uh influences and siblings um but then they've just got a lovely flair for for mixing for for balancing rather um different different types of influence speed and stammer uh, and obviously that's that's the holy grail for everyone isn't it and um 
most of us end up with if you if you try and blend speed and stamina, you you end up with a uh, uh, the worst of both worlds. But um, they, they you know justifies a fantastic example that you know he just set off in the Belmont and just kept going. And that 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 is the elixir in 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 dirt racing, the ability to carry speed. And you know it's why my number one hobby horses that you know aren't. We will pay here for our neglect of dirt horses in recent years. It, it absolutely reinvigorated the breed over here in the Northern Dancer dynasty. And now we've decided we don't need dirt horses anymore. Um, and that is a catastrophic mistake, just as serious a mistake as the Americans have, uh, are trying to address now in, in investing in quality turf stock here. Um, you know, how do you think Galileo and his and his sons have had such a clear run at at the Derby and our other marquee races, not just because obviously he's one of the greatest sires of all time, but also because the fields have been left open because, you know, these, these type of attributes are exactly what we need in our breed over here. And we're not, we're not using them. Top um, European breeders are not using the top dirt stallions uh, on their on their turf mares and trying them over here. So you know, if if you want to stop Galileo and his sons winning the Derby, you have to try American dirt stallions. That's the way you do it, and no one's done it. That's a really interesting point, and it brings us on to justify stud career because there are five yearlings to be offered at Tattersalls. We've seen plenty of them go through the ring in Keenan so far, and just picking up on what Tanya said there, she believes he will be able to do the dual surface. Um, produce dual surface stock, if you like. Is that something that could be interesting to people over here? And as a result, do you think people might start to look at a horse like this differently? Well, having said what I've just said, I mean, it, uh, he, he has uh, every right on paper. And Scat Daddy obviously uh, has has been um, um, a, a significant influence over here. Um, and it's a son of Johannesburg, who's obviously in his career was a rare crossover horse. Um, and Mr. Mr. Prospector, obviously, um, a versatile influence. Um, and I mentioned also there's strong elements of Najinsky in his pedigree. I, I must say, to look at the horse, I've, I've not been over there, so I haven't seen his, his stock uh, the last, um, haven't not, not been over there the last couple of years, but to look at the horse himself, I've never seen a more obvious dirt horse in my life. <laughs> He, he doesn't look to me um, himself um, uh, an obviously adaptable type, but, but the attributes he has as a racehorse, as, I, as I've just said, are certainly flexible. He's so strong um, and pugnacious and looking um, just um, just put him in the ring, um, that type of horse. You know, he, he, he's, he's a physical knockout and that yeah, I, I don't think we can be too prescriptive in in bloodlines, and we probably shouldn't be too prescriptive in terms of appearance as well. But um, Chris, how have they been received so far in the US? We've seen the sort of headline acts, but how have they gone? I mean, it's very early stage, isn't it? But what's it been is. your yeah, he had so a, far? He, he had a massive day on the third uh, in the third session at Keeneland, started book two. Um, he had his top sale there so far. Which he kind of needed a bit. I mean, the you know the, these big commercial farms like 
Ashford and Spendthrift, they know what they're doing, that they have a system and it works for them. Um, but Justify covered 252 mayors in his first book uh, at $150,000. So, you know, obviously there, there would have been a lot of support from their, their own mayors there. But commercially, that puts you under pressure. If, um, so he is top of the... Um, the averages so far, and, and so he jolly well should be, um, if you know, if that's the going rate. Um, the the one the one reservation I'd have on his performance so far is that, that um, he his clearance rate has been nothing like as high as some of those around him. I mean, in in aggregate, not just this week, but the Saratoga as well. He's he's kind of sold two out of three. City of Light, who had, um, it looks like he could top the sale out of book two, which would be an amazing achievement for a freshman. He sold 33 out of 36. Good Magic sold 19 out of 20 so far. Um, so, uh, in, in fairness, the, the, the type of people who could afford to use Justify are the type of people who could afford to play the longer game. They're, a lot of them will be owner breeders, um, may, have, may have put put them into the ring just to see you know, then we'll set a high reserve and rightly so, because um, with with a background like that, especially with fillies, you'd, you'd be very happy to retain them. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's always going to be the caveat. Um, it's it's tough going launching two of those. You know, the the London bus syndrome with triple crown winners and and wait all thirty seven years and then two come along virtually at once. Out of, out of the same barn and gone to the same farm. Um, fascinating to see such um, ha- how it would play out with both of them. They couldn't be in better hands um, for for being given every chance. American Pharaoh, absolutely, unquestionably, um, is um, is a crossover stallion in terms of what he's done so far. He's he's had a lot of very good turf horses. Um, from the get-go, um, I'd, I'd love to see him stand it. Well, it would probably never happen, but I wish they'd give him a season over here and let, let everyone have uh, everyone over here have, have him on their doorstep for a year. Um, but um, they don't need my assistance in running their business. I think they do pretty well on their own. <laughs> well, from the theme of US involvement at this year's sale and indeed that ability of stallions to branch uh, both sides of the Atlantic. We move now onto more the domestic market and we look forward to welcoming plenty of buyers along to the sale, all, of course, in the hunt of winning one of the £20,000 highly coveted Tattersall's Book One bonuses and one trainer who has had an unbelievable season, hovering at uh, around a 30% strike rate at the time of recording in recent weeks, is Jer Lyons, who lit up the opening day of Irish Champions Weekend just gone, winning over half of the races, including the Group 2 the big race for the juveniles with Atomic Jones. Now he's a winner of the book one bonus already along with Geocentric from the same stable earlier in the season. So I spoke to Jer and asked if he'd had time for the weekend exploits to sink in. Saturday was fantastic. Just one of those days when all the luck bounced our way and uh, seldom it happens but it was nice that it did and to happen on such an occasion as Champions Weekend it was just, you know, it's just the icing on the cake. 
It really was. And the performance of, uh, of Atomic Jones was, was gutsy, was brilliant in the, in the grade two on the day, the group two on the day, the juvenile race. Just tell us a little bit about, about his story, because he's obviously first time out, won a, a £20,000 Tattersall's Book One bonus, which I imagine is a, is a, a brilliant ad- advantage and incentive for the owners. But it's a bit of a family affair how you managed to source this one, Jer. Yeah, well, last year with COVID and everything, I took the view that, well, I've always taken the view that there, there's better people out there than me to source the horses. We've we've worked all the way through, you know, f- sourcing our own horses from the day I started. And uh, Kerry has come on board and has a huge interest and she's very good at the sales. So I took the view with COVID that um, I let Kerry loose and she can run the sales with Roger and John and and that at, and fill at the sales and and um i stayed home with david and we'll we'll pull the trigger so to speak on the computer um and that's what happened uh, kerry is a good eye she's great confirmation she's got good eye on, on on pedigrees as well still a lot to learn as we all do but um in her first year she sourced me a group two winner so um i think i'll send her back again Absolutely, and ninety-five thousand, and and immediately won that bonus on top of the prize money. Just talk us through um, your view of of his race on Saturday. Well, he's a he's a huge, big wooden basset. I was talking to Richard Fahey about him on Sunday morning. I was inquiring about the sire himself, and they sound very similar. Great temperaments, big, scopy horses, and as I said, temperaments to die for. Um, I always felt that. I should be probably introducing this guy around now for his maiden, never mind for his second win being a group two. Um, big horse that was always going to have three-year-olds written all over him. And um, whatever he did at two was a bonus. And I, I, I really meant that. I mean, I genuinely felt that I'd be introducing him at the Curra as I did. And we'd probably win second start and then put him away till next year. But um, boat races, he's got up on the line and he's obviously above average. He's after winning his group two. And um, and the future's bright for him. He's a, he's a lovely a lovely scopy horse. As I said, sounds talking to Richard. He's very similar to his his dad. And um, we we we'll take him from there. You know, Colin Colin was adamant that we'll put him away um, till till next year, and we'll have a look at him in in in, in you know in the spring. Let him grow up. Let him mature. I mean, the way he does, he, 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 like I took him home from the car after he won, gave him plenty of time off, and he, you know, waiting for him to tell me when he was ready, and he did. Like he's, but he's such a docile character, you know. It's hard to, it's hard to wonder, you know, are you giving him? Is he dossing or are you? Give, you know, does he need the time off? You know, so, I mean, he's doing his job, and I suppose I could go again with him if I wanted to, but I think we're, we're thinking more of next year with him. So I think. Champions Weekend was always where I was aiming a lot of the horses. And as far as I was there, I would stop with most of them after it. Yeah, funnily enough, I did think that when he crossed the line, you could see him just prick his ears. And I thought, oh, he might have done that a shade cosily there. There's plenty left in the locker. He does look that sort of character. But brilliant success. And really look forward to seeing him next year. Yeah, he's an unbelievable character. I love his temperament. And as, as Richard said to me, his dad was like that. So... The signs are good, you know. Yeah, long may his success continue. But we'll ask you about Geocentric as well. He was also a, a book one bonus winner, Jer, and she's gone on to obviously run very well behind your very special Philly Sacred Bridge. Um, how pleased have you been with her development and, and again, from, from sourcing her at Tattersall's? Ed Faxel purchased her 
um, for Prince Sultan and, and um, a, a second Kodiak he's bought for Glenburnie Stables that is a stakes filly uh, following the footsteps of Frenetic. Uh, typical of, of the sire Kodiak, I would think. Um, when we introduced her, I thought she had a, she was played with sore shins and I ran her back quick just to get the maiden done and with the, with the intention that I give her as much time as she needed thereafter, you know, and um, that's how it turned out. We knew, we knew going to the Round Tower Group 3 that she was in the right race, but we knew she had our other filly to beat, but I, 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 you know, with what we knew at home, we knew that she was capable of being in the three, which was what it was all about, um, and she ran a cracking second and take the winner out of it, she was a good winner. Um, I would say she doesn't like firm in the description. I would say any anything slow-sided good. She holds an entry. She holds two entries this week in air in the Rosebury and uh, the Firth of Clyde at air. So um, it's imperative that I try and win her stakes race with her before the end of the season. But she might make into a nice, a nice three-year-old filly. I don't think. Like she's one that I think will improve from two to three, as opposed to being like frenetic, being a very busy two-year-old. And on the the bonus front, Jer, is that something in the back of your mind when you're when you are sending Kerry out to the sales to source horses? No, well, book one is our main sale, and and any bonus Gina that we can get our hands on in, in this in this era is is greatly appreciated. So a brilliant weekend for Jair Lyons and a notable one for Tattersall's graduates too as it was group winner after group winner for Book One graduates over the two days. Something I reflected on with Tattersall's marketing manager Jason Singh earlier this week. Yeah Gina, um, I think we can we could scarcely believe just how good a weekend it was. Um, it certainly it kept the person who was uh, doing ads and social media very busy, that was for sure. Um, I mean, you know, I guess it's hard to actually pick which one is, um, you know, the sort of highlight when, when there are four individual Group 1 winners over over the weekend. You know, Hurricane Lane won the St. Ledger, you know, his third Group 1 win this year. He was a 200,000 guinea book one yearling. Native Trail only cost 67,000 guineas at the sale last year. He won the national stakes. Um, he also picked up a £125,000 Craven bonus, uh, which was, you know, the first year we'd done that for Craven breeze up graduates um st mark's basilica you know has to have claims to being the the number one racehorse in the world really um he he won the irish champion we know his fourth group one win for the year and um and then tiona roger varian's filly um you know won the priva may upsetting um uh aiden o'brien's filly snowfall upsetting her and and you know now looks like a, a live art chance so you know, they were they were just the Group One winners. You know, added to that, you you've had um, you know Atomic Jones and Bayside Boy both winning Group Two two year old races, both also from Book One of the October Yearling Sale. Um, Jair Lyons had Kamora winning a, a, a Group race um, that horse was bought two years ago, and then the old Stalwart um, Glorious Journey. You know, also saluting. So that's just you know over the space of the weekend, which is you know truly remarkable. Yeah, an incredible strength in depth. But if we focus on the, the two-year-olds in particular, because you've mentioned several there, I mean, Native Trail headlining, of course, what has been a, a brilliant year for, for last year's graduates in particular. Yeah, absolutely, Gina. The um, if, I mean, we're just looking at the, the Racing Post site uh, 
uh, yesterday. And, you know, if you look at the leading two-year-old performance in Britain and Ireland, the top six were all purchased at either book one or book two. You know, Native Trail, as we've mentioned, Point Lonsdale, who he beat in the national and, you know, had been unbeaten up until that point. Um, Bayside Boy in the Champagne Stakes, um, the, the, the Al Shakab pair of Ebro River and Lucille, and, um, and Geo Lyons' Dr. Zemph. So, you know, quite a remarkable six horses that are, you know, the six leading horses, uh, two old performers in Britain and Ireland this year at the moment. So that's just covering off Britain and Ireland, as you say. But what about further afield? Because we know there's been such sustained international interest in the sale in recent years. How have they fared this year abroad? Well, I mean, I don't think, well, certainly nobody in America has um, has failed to notice that the impact that uh, that the TATs, um, you know, book one graduates have, have made over there. Um, you know, this year it's been domestic spending. Who's won? Who's won two Grade One races? You know, is currently the highest rated turf horse in North America. Um, you know, that's following on from you know the Breeders' Cup winners, news, newspaper of record, and Aunt Pearl. Um, Digital Age was a Grade One winner last year, um, and you know, of course, Campanelle, who's campaigned and 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 won her, her races here in in Europe, but is trained in America, and you know, is another great flag bearer for the. For the book one sales, so they, I mean, you know, they're they're the grade one winners, and of course, you know, Tattersall's October book one was the number one sale for turf success at this year's Saratoga meeting, and that's not forgetting, you know, Palace Pier, who's currently the highest rated miler in the world, uh, been a remarkable horse, and um, of course, plenty to be excited about with his uh, Almanzor half brother um, coming to book one this year that Highclere Stud are consigning. So another fabulous weekend for Tattersall's on the on the racetrack. Um, we bring Chris McGrath back in um, to close out proceedings. And as always, we always ask our guests, Chris, um, to kind of give us one pointer or something you're most looking forward to to seeing or looking forward to in book one. Yeah, in the, in the context of what we talked about earlier, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how five justifies in book one are received and um must give a mention to the the city of light who's also in right right at the end of um of book one um but in terms of our domestic market i mean the the theme surely this year is uh, the king is dead long live the king um you know from now on galileo uh is even more of a collector's item than he was before we lost him um that there'll surely be um, frantic competition for for a final piece of his legacy. However much a collector's item a, a Galileo yearling was before, that's going to be even more the case now. And it's sure to be competition for to to get a, a, a one of a, a piece of his of his legacy while you can. Um, but you know this has been the year of in which Frankl has completely consolidated his own status as as an heir, the principal heir potentially to his great sire. And um, so a couple of dozen Frankels in there, surely international demand for them. I mean, I always said Frankel was a was a dirt horse in the way the way he ran. I'm sure the Americans would would love to get it, get into him as well. Um, in the bigger picture, you know, Frankel and Kingman both thriving young stallions dominating book one for a, a, an outfit that has been so exemplary so long has lost its 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 patron now and it'll be interesting to see how 
they evolve with this kind of commercial impetus to help them. Um, and just a word too for, um, for uh, Tween Hills, uh, who give us two contrasting tales uh, among the freshman size. Uh, Roaring Lion, who'd have thought that we'd, that, that those would be collector's items um, in the tragic way they became. Um, and Zoo Star, who, um, yeah, talk about international trade. You know, the Australians would certainly pay for their shipping costs uh, um, it, to, to, to come and, and, and get Zoo Star here. They know how good he is. I'm not sure the the, the European market has quite gotten on as yet, but it won't be long, I'm sure. And we will find out how all of these fascinating strands come together. Chris, thank you so much. And thank you to all of our guests. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of the Bloodstock Bulletin with Tattersalls. Don't forget, book one of the Tattersalls October yearling sale takes place from the 5th to the 7th of October in Newmarket. And hopefully we'll see plenty of you there. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with the third instalment in the build-up next Thursday. Goodbye for now. <laughs>